Dun, dun, dun. Ladies and gentlemen, it's risking failure. That's right. Mark Dobson is risking failure on this side of the globe in Australia. On the other side of the world, risking failure at an even higher level is Mick Dunn. <laughs> He's... As we speak, digging himself out of snow, wishing he was in Australia, which he will be soon for my wedding. Mick, it is great to be having a chat again. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. It's good to be talking to you again. It's just so nice to hear your lovely poetic voice. Oh, stop (laughs) it. Stop it. Hey, I was listening to um, a podcast the other day and Mm -hmm. Edward Norton, who took forever to say anything. However, he used the word, he, his vocabulary was quite broad and he used the word tremendous. Imagine answering that if I said, how are you today? And he said, tremendous. I'd think you're a bit of a tool. Because I thought, could I ever use the word tremendous in conversation? And I, I don't think, you couldn't use it about yourself. You could use it about something else. Like it's a, it was a tremendous building or a tremendous feat. But you couldn't say, I feel tremendous. I think that would be weird. How are you today? Tremendous. Could you do that? I used to say as a bit of a, oh, I was a bit of a knob as a kid. And I said one time, I learned the word euphoric, which meant, you know, just this incredible mm-hmm. feelings, the maximum good feelings. Someone said to me, how are you feeling today? I was like, euphoric. And I wasn't trying to be a smart ass. I was actually really having a good day. And I'd learned the word for it. But I look back, I was like, oh, it's probably making you a bit of a social outcast, Mark. Mm-hmm. You should probably stop doing that. So I just started saying, yeah, right. Like the rest of the world. Busy. Well, I'm I, busy. I, I actually remember that standing out with you when I first met you and was hanging out. I was like, man, I, I, I distinctly remember to go like go in the store or whatever with you and you'd somebody like say to you, like, how are you doing? You're like, excellent. How are you? And I'd be like, it would even surprise me the first few times. And I was like, oh. And it was like, it, I remember talking about it at the time. It was just like a strategy. Well, if you just sort of say that, then you force yourself into feeling that way. And, you know, life does kind of look up at a point when you just sort of go at it with, you know, take it by the balls a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's funny. But over time, I've, like, I've laid off that because I, I borrowed the same idea for quite some time. I remember my friends, like, looking at me doing the same thing going, what? But I play around with it every now and then. I've actually tinkered with stupendous quite a bit. I, I pull that one out every now and then. But I always think that people think stupendous means monumentally, monumentally stupid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, That's you why. Stupendous. <laughs> like that would be, yes, I see that. Um, and I've got to go now. <laughs> you experimented My, with it. That's great. Yeah, well, it's partly because that exact, not that exact definition or term, but it's just a very uncommon word that I just, I don't know. But no one's ever, like, stopped and like, wait, what? what's that? No one ever asked. I just go, oh, that's good. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's good. Who the hell did, said to you? that to you last time you asked how you were? But yeah, it, isn't it funny how you say that stuff? And especially some people that are all formal or whatever, and they'll ask you and you'd say all this stuff and they go, oh, that's good. Well, I wanted the reason I was calling you. And you're like, what? They just glance over those things. Yeah, it is funny saying it, people who are just on a <laughs> recording where they just go through the motions. Hi, how are you going? Here on the radio all the time, somebody calls in <laughs> and, you know, they say, so what are you calling? Yeah, good, thanks. Like, um, yep, we know you're good. Why don't you tell us your point? And then they spit it out. There's this... If these stupid formalities that um, just in rehearse mode or no rehearse operate, what's the word? Not rehearse. It's like uh, 
yeah, it's just it's automated. Oh my gosh! So anyway, I'm tremendous. It's good to hear that you're stupendous, and um, I have got a great topic for today. <clears throat> it's and now I'm probably going to lose most of my income after this conversation because I've got it's time to talk about the education system, and basically, I have been speaking this last month two or three times a day for like a month to schools primarily but also doing some corporate consulting and every now and then you have half a day free when you or an evening free where you just can take a breather and it just what happens when you get tired you just uh you you just become short you know you just go you just you haven't got the energy for the crap and I did a talk the other day and it was one of my last talks for till I had a couple of day break, which I'm in right now. I'm in day two of that break. And I, I was working really hard. It was bloody 35 degrees in this room. The kids were just tired and you couldn't hear properly because the fans were so loud and it was a whole lot of stuff. It was just a hard, hard thing. And I worked my ass off and did what I would normally do for an hour and a half or so and Kids are there, they're, they're, they're committed, but I've got to work hard to get it there. And then at the end, the, t- the kids just need to go. They just need to leave because they're just spent. They've been sitting so long and uh, and the teachers don't handle that well at the end. Now, I'm not anti-teachers, right? Not at all. Everyone's working their ass off. But what I saw was these kids then get in trouble because the teachers just didn't dismiss them straight away. They felt like they had to keep controlling them and say more stuff that wasn't important. And they sent, and then eventually they just said, uh, they started to tell the kids off. And then another teacher got up and said, right, you need to listen, listen to Mr. So-and-so, you know, it's been a rah, 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 rah. And, and these kids have got a raw instinct to move right now. They're mentally done. And I was thinking, God, if I was there, if I was in that audience, what would I think? Just say, I'd put myself back there. I need a little kid's body, but I've got my present brain. I was like, I'd just be like, stuff this and get up and go out. But then I've seen kids do that and it wouldn't work because you get out and just go, then someone chases you and said, what do you think you're doing? Do you think that's the way you should conduct yourself? And da 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 And really, you'd be in trouble for so long for knowing that you're smarter than them. And this is not them teachers, but this person who might who's wasting your time. And the kids are getting blamed. I was furious because the kids are getting blamed for wasting time, but they're not wasting time. And I'm furious because... These kids have got raw instincts to move in a direction and we're not allowing it. And I drove home that night pissed off thinking this system is bullshit. That it, it's the numbers of kids to go through and the system that we've built fundamentally cannot educate a child to survive in the modern era. It just, it is one of memorization. It is a dinosaur. And, and it's not allowing kids' instinct where kids' instinct is what's the only way that's going to get them through in a modern era because you have to be able to learn. You have to have the agility. At, you see how fast every time you get a new phone, it's like you've got to work it out. And the new one coming out every six months and you have to be agile and we're not promoting that. And so I was thinking, I'm not anti the school system. It just doesn't work. And I, what I was thinking about was... That if I was to have kids, I would have no faith in putting my child into a school in that they would come out with an education that was going to set them up for the rest of their life. 
And I was thinking, you know what has to really happen? Or if I was to have kids, I would be creating a parallel schooling for them, parallel education model that said, sure, do your legal requirements of going to school from 9 to 3.30. I would tell the kids to meet their responsibilities, but I would find a school that did not have homework requirements. So they had to be productive during the day. And then after school, I would create ongoing structures and opportunities so the kids could be allowed their passion, not in a schedule way where they've got dance on Monday nights and then they've got to go to basketball and they're doing all these activities. They do not even know why they're doing them. They're just doing them because they've always been registered. I'd, I'd set it up so that they, their passions and interests were resourced consistently outside of the school system because we are the, we're in a world of pain for the next 25 years if we keep this model. That's my little rant. I'm so pissed off. I'm over it. And I go to schools two or three times a week, even in the off-season. And I'm not anti-schools. I'm just saying if I'm pro the education of my child, which doesn't exist yet, but if I am, I, I want them in a different system. And I don't think we can fix the system. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. And I think everyone's working their ass off. But some, at some point, you just got to go, we need to be radically different. Um, so I've got more ideas on that, but that's what happened this week. I just had this moment. I was like, I just, I'm not even sure if I can be part of this system anymore. I was tired. I was a bit cranky. I was a bit tired, but I was, I was just, <laughs> you know, I was like, Christ, just let the kids go. Just say go. They wouldn't let them go. And I was like, oh God. So what have you ever actually said something not in front of the kids but um mm, all the time you do all the time yeah all the time like what how could you or what uh you know because it sort of seems like a really delicate timing thing on top of like having the right level of attention for the right amount of time where you know you're not gonna be interrupted and you know that the teaching body doesn't need to be like pulled away for something you're unaware of in the next three minutes. So like, how do you get an extra message across that was completely unplanned like that? Well, when, if, whenever you're with a client, you, you, you know, you walk back to your vehicle or you walk back to the office and sign out or something. So or, and even when you get there beforehand, you have conversations with people and I'll mention it. And I'll, in a whole lot of different ways, not as an aggressive way, but as in a caring way, because People are doing their best. Like these guys are doing their best. Like, so I'll I'll say to someone, I'll make an announcement to the kids, and they'll do this long story, and I'll say to them, um, I say, hey mate, well, sometimes when I finish a talk, you know, it's really nice that you say those things to redirect the message, but the message is set, and, you, and sometimes you could just let them go. And they're like, oh yeah, I suppose we could do that, and uh, and then I'll come up with a reason. Oh, but you know, we do need to tell them this and this and this. I say, well. I didn't see that just be said. I just saw us lose five minutes. And and I and the people often one of the, the everyone just copies each other and then everybody just blames the kids. Like, oh, they're a ratty bunch. I'm like, well, sometimes there's big personalities in a group, and yep, I get that that's hard, but that's what I mean about the system. There's too many kids in a group, and so some people just can't handle that many kids, and then their response is to get angry. Um, like another example, right? The other day, a school 
relayed how somebody senior got up and was talking about how they shouldn't bully someone. And they go, yeah, the bullying, you know, sometimes you get bullying and sometimes, you know, you've got to stand up for yourself though. So if I say, just say, Mr. Dunn, okay, you just say you said, Mr. Dunn said something mean to me. I'd say, hey, Mr. Dunn, you're looking a bit fat, aren't you? And you're like, hang on, this is a senior person in school suggesting that if you're getting picked on, you should bully back. And you're like, really? Now, that's not... That happens right through life, right? So that's not, a, oh, my God, all the schools like that because there is some profoundly awesome stuff happening in schools, profoundly awesome relationships, profoundly awesome teachers, but they are in a system that's fundamentally heavy. Like I know as a kid when we used to do kayaking, you know, if you had one of the old heavy boats, it didn't matter how good a paddler you were, <laughs> your, that boat was just so heavy. It was like paddling a barge and then you get a new one and you're like, oh, my God, we're actually quite good. We didn't know. Um, and so... You know, like, I'm like, well, hang on. That, so, so when people are trying, if their leader thinks like that and then the, there's just this, you, you sort of look at each other and you sort of copy what everybody does. And so when I had, on Aspire in the later days when you went there, when I had um, staff on, I had teachers come on the program and I would have a chapter beforehand. So listen, look, you, know, you may not realize this, but you, you've got a teacher voice. You know, you, you turn into a teacher and authoritarian and, and uh, I said, we don't do teacher voices here. We um, we do friend voices. We just pretend we're at a barbecue with our friends and how would we handle it that way? Now, as an educator, someone can hear that and go, oh, that's all fine for you. Da, 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 da. But if, if you just listen to what I'm saying, I'm not, I understand the need for that in the system because the system asks so many stupid things. Like the system asks that you tick off every kid's name at the start of every period. So a teacher wants to walk in and just teach and just capture their imagination and engage them, but they can't. They have to do the roll call. And at the start of the roll call, by the, you know, they, they might have energy. By the end of it, the kids are ratty. And now th- two, three, five minutes has gone by as they're trying to sort crap out and they've lost them. If I, if I have an audience and I do not engage them in the first 10 to 15 seconds, I'm not going to get that audience back. And teachers are being asked to not, you know, they're being asked to not engage them every time, really, at the start. And so some teachers are clever. They'll get the kids engaged in the task and then while they're doing it, they'll do the roll call, but they're still going to lodge it. So the system requires that we've we've over-analyzed so many aspects um, trying to accommodate for the weakest link. And it is... It is, um, it, it's just got to a point where, like I see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools all around the world and it's, it's the same. The system's a problem. I remember being in Thailand and I was going in to teach English for a day and we go and watch assembly and the assembly's just the same as in a Western school and then they're all standing there in lines with their bags and then the teachers go and berserk at the kids in Thai and all the kids have to walk to the back and then all the teachers come up and go through every single kid's bag because they believe that some kids have got weapons at the school. And you got to do that, right? But the thing is that I was watching it and going, this is a different country, but it's the same system. And therefore, the system of having that volume of people in one place to be navigated, you know, to be, to be, to be led is fundamentally difficult and not many people can do that. 
It's funny how when it's a different language too, you know, it's just like sit back and you don't even need to hear what they're talking about. You can, you just know, like, so hundred percent. Like I'm, I was teaching English and they kept on giving me a different class every 50 minutes. I had new kids come in and I didn't speak any Thai and I quickly worked out a way to teach English quite fast to them, which the teachers loved. It was just a bit innovative, but, but then the kids were speaking and I just knew which kid was being naughty and I just, even though I wasn't in English, I knew when they were being smart ass. You can, like Jedi and that stuff, you can just tell by your mood. You don't, I didn't presume best intentions. I just trust my instinct. I remember sending this kid out of class and a teacher comes in. She goes, what was he doing? I said, I don't know, but I know he was wrong. And she said, <laughs> she said, she said, she said, honestly, that'd be right. That would be 100% right. And because it's the same thing, you know, when you've been in a classroom a thousand times, it's, it's, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, but this and and it's difficult. Teachers like deserve friggin' medals for doing this stuff. It's so hard, but the system is not liberating them, and it's also not liberating knowledge at all. Not for a modern era. It is still running on a memorization model. It, it transfers over to parenting as well, in terms of like uh, some of the stuff you're talking about, like teacher voice there's parent voice too like and sometimes i find myself like saying stuff and i'm like hmm is that gonna work like is that really the best tone of voice or the best phrase or way to communicate to the kids but i'm like ah but i can't be too happy and friendly because that's just gonna like you know like you're just constantly wrestling with that that kind of stuff. And so I'm always like, I don't know how teachers do it because you do get so emotionally involved or connected to the situation that it is often hard to step back because, you know, most people in any given household, doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can sit and observe any household and walk away with a list of 15 to 20 things that you think the parents did wrong that night. You know, at the same time, you could say that the whole system of the house is set up wrong or whatever. Who cares? But I mean, obviously not who cares, but it just, it, you know, the, the same sort of principles apply. So I agree with you. There's a huge amount of respect for somebody that is a teacher that pulls that off every day. Um, and they're going to make mistakes. That's definitely not the point. Like, because my God, like I made mistakes the last few jobs I did this week. I was like, oh, I was, um, I was burnt out. And I wasn't doing as good a job. I was just burnt. I just love what I do, but I'd done too much of it. And I was just went home just devastated about things that there's some, I don't even know if the school kids actually would even notice, but I would knew, you know, I was not happy. So it's definitely not about eliminating mistakes at all. It's actually about creating a, a model that if run really well, would liberate talent and confidence and teaching capacity. But at the moment, if we run the model that we've got really well, it's not going to do that. That's mm-hmm. the outcome. That's, yeah. So what are your ideas? So I've been thinking about that. And um, so Ryan's got a, there's a bunch of us built a not-for-profit a few years ago. And then, I was a spin-off of that. Um, Ryan's got a, another project called Impact Project, which is 
it's like the old Aspire camps. And he asked me to, I've talked about it on air before, asked me to be in, to run the camps for him. And I've since said no. And because it's not a challenge for me, I've done it before. And I'm much more excited about doing something far bigger. And, and I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to do something bigger. And I, I had some feedback recently that somebody would listen to these, these podcasts, hear a lot of the ideas I come up with, and later on, I haven't done them. And, you know, but the idea is that this is a conversation. And so we're thinking out loud. So you try to be honest, but then when you don't act on something, it, people go, oh, you didn't do it. And you're like, yeah. But so when I say I want to do something bigger, it's true. I don't know how that's packaged. I'm in a brainstorming stage. But what I am aware of is that we want to create a community or a, or a system or a place where you can go where you can have confidence that you'll be able to find the skills or resources or knowledge that you need when you need them and at the moment we just go to the internet and or we go to a friend at a barbecue and everyone just talks now i think in the past the model of the church has been really good at that um, separate to any you know religious agendas that the idea, like I know as a kid, a lot of my growth happened because we lived next door to the to the church and I ran the youth club from there and I had a lot of opportunities. And then every Sunday, people would come into church. So you would you had this big social opportunity and you knew all these people. Um, and I think that's awesome, you know, and I think in some cultures there's, you know, building of the barn or there's, in, you know, in, in Africa, in Africa, there's communities that just run 100 kilometers as a celebration. And they'll run together. There's lots of different rituals. But the community is important. But I was thinking, I heard um, uh, an interview, well, actually it wasn't an interview, but Tim Ferriss had on his show, Naval Rivercant, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, Rivercant or something like that. Yeah, Rivercant. And um, I'm actually not sure his background. I didn't hear the first episode, but he had some really strong ideas on education and they resonated with me because this was all happening. It's all been brewing in me for a little while, but... He was saying the things that we really need to teach kids are things like how to how to break a habit and how to start a habit. Or we need to teach kids how happiness works. Or we need to teach them like about what say what what real poverty is or what missing out is and what real pain is. And maybe that's exposing them to a third world environment. Or maybe we need to teach them about how to start a business and to actually have a lemonade stand. And, and, and people would argue that the school system does that. But, you know, there is no classes, no significant ongoing classes in school about meditation or, or nutrition. And if it is, it's not practical by the modern standards because that's the reason why there's a huge industry, even the one I'm in, where there's all these short courses that you can do. And we'll tell you the five things to do this and you sign up for that. And these people have got great content because they've simplified it. And, and, I, and I'm not sure how that's going to be structured yet. All I know is that if I had kids, I would be very passionate about the education when they're not at school. Uh, and, and it's, it's an art, right? Because I haven't got kids, so I don't know how it's practically can be done. All I know is that we are moving into an era where so many things are automated that our children won't be needed. And how are we going to stay relevant and, and how are we going to stay employable? Uh, and his ideas around that were quite interesting too. He was saying how really to be uh, relevant and employable, you need to not 
work for a company because you can't get ejected that way and you need to start to uh, have something that you're so passionate about that you can be best in your little world, your you know, into in a community so that you can be hired and you also need to be um, comfortable with the boom and bust mentality that you might earn a huge amount of money for a period and then not earn so much and you need to be in an industry where you're constantly coming up with the next thing because if you come up with something that can be duplicated, then you're irrelevant and so you need to be constantly being creative. Now, if you start to think, well, what's the world going to be like in 10 or 15 years and you start to have a, just a general awareness like that or a best guess, then you can go, well, do they need to memorize the periodic table? Or do they need to learn languages? Like what's the universal language? And the universal language is probably computers. It's coding. And, you know, this is, this is a totally different way to think. And I'm not sure how it's structured yet, but I got a fright the other day and I got a concern because I've got quite a few friends with kids and I was like, shit, we need to build something for them somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is like... It's pretty much why we homeschool at the moment, not because we hate the system or anything. It's like Liz, my wife, is a teacher. So uh, at at a really young age, um, you do become acutely aware of, granted, we live in a rural area, so there's almost like extra effort with sending your kids to school because you're going to do more work for it, frankly, and... And they're not well-funded, so they're not the best schools by any stretch. Um, so you do feel like you're just throwing your kids into a system well and truly where we were like, well, the amount of time that they spend in school during the course of a week, particularly in a winter period here where there's a lot of inside time because it's so damn cold outside, we can compress that learning into about three hours each day and let the rest of the time be exploring time. And, and so there's really, you know, just a couple of hours of just solid focus, like, and the rest of it is like, now let's go apply it in just playful ways. Um, and, you know, I, I realize that's how most classrooms work, but, when you're stuck to the schedule of, you know, we have to stop now and move on, you don't, the kid doesn't get to finish that thought or finish that work that they were finally getting into. And it, at the same time, there's the challenge of being, say, a parent and being too connected and not being able to allow your child to have that guidance from somebody who's at arm's length like a teacher has there's trade-offs in both directions it is what it is you know um but we've been exploring that in in a way it's almost like it's a feeling of delaying not the inevitable but delaying is there a way we can delay this long enough that we can come up with a different plan and i see a lot more people doing that particularly in our own communities more and more people that are just there's got to be a better way. It's going to be a different way to do this. Um, parents getting more involved in that, which is nice to see, but it's also sometimes it's troubling to see because you're like, hmm, maybe not a great idea. Like, you know, if you're actually not committed to this and resourcing well enough, then this could be having an adverse effect. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole or track, but I totally get what you're talking about because we're sort of living it, so to speak. Um, 
Well, look, when you say that you can compress it down to three hours, people who don't understand education in the school system, with no disrespect if you're a listener that, you know, you're thinking that, but the reason you can do that is that they bleed so much time at school. They just, it bleeds. Like the first five minutes of class, five to seven minutes is set up time. And then even if there's a 50-minute class, the kids know the last 10 minutes is pack-up time. That's 15 minutes gone out of a 50-minute class. So then we've got a much shorter window to teach and how much momentum can you get in there? And because we put too much content in there, five, 10 minutes before pack-up time, the kids start to go, oh, I'll just do it at home. And they don't even use that time because they go, I'm not going to get it finished now. And then you have the kids walk between classes and in that walking time, a whole lot of stuff goes on and then somebody comes in over the PA, it's just over the top and makes an announcement and then it interrupts class and then we've got to do this whole group assembly and it only really applies to five kids. And 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 look, I'm not, I'm pro the school system. I've been involved a long time. I'm pro how hard people work and how dedicated we are. I'm, I'm I say pro the system, I'm pro the community. Uh, the system is fundamentally flawed and people say you come up with a better system. And that's what exactly what I'm proposing. And I think that what we have to do is we have to build it in parallel with the school system till eventually it's so significant that people can jump across to it. Now, I'm not Bill Gates and I can't finance it and I'm probably not even as organized as, um, as, as many of the brilliant, talented people I know to get some, to make something like this happen. I, I, am, I do have a nature for visionary, being a bit of a visionary. I can, I can see things and I work really well with people who can help me build those. And I'm, I know I'm very good at making complicated things simple. So when I talk about this stuff, to make this happen is phenomenally hard. I hear so many people saying, we've got to change the school system, we've got to change. But they haven't been in the system long enough to understand what to do instead and haven't taught enough. Everybody just is frustrated. I believe we need to build in parallel. And... I think what we nearly need is a collection of people that are really passionate and have recognized that if you put your kids into private school, you can comfortably spend $250,000 over six years on their education. So if you go, all right, I'm going to fork out a quarter of a million dollars for my child's education. At the end of that time, do you feel like you got a quarter million dollars worth of value? Because if I'm going to invest a quarter of a million dollars, any, any intelligent businessman would say, I should be able to get a return on that. I should be able to, in a similar period of time, say another six years afterwards, be able to generate, what, $500,000 or $400,000 on that investment. But that's not happening. And so, real, so, so then you go, all right, well, who's going to be brave enough? Well, what's happening t-shirt. is you're hoping you get the opportunity to go spend another three or four hundred thousand <laughs> at a university. You know, like, That's right. And then the kids are saying to me, <laughs> and it's like the, the kids, kids st- that are paying for that. So the kids are all stressed out. They're all like, um, mm-hmm. I'll go and teach them about you know year twelve and do my exams and I'll show them some strategies. And the kids are all stressed out about not getting into courses and stuff. And I'm like, you're going to get in. Like, at worst case, it'll take a semester to get in. You'll just have to get into a course you didn't want to get in, do really well, and then transfer. Unless it's medicine and dentistry, it's a bit trickier, but pretty much you can do it everywhere. And and I said, look, you know, and I always say to them, in the first few months or the first month, bunches of kids are going to fall, drop out of whatever course because they didn't want to turn up or they made a mistake or they didn't really feel like it or they thought they wanted this and they decided they didn't. And you just need to go and hassle them and get one of those spots. And they said, well, they're not 
but we I haven't got the grades. I'm like, duh. The school is going to charge, the university is going to charge $3,000 in Australia, which is small, it's more in America, $3,000 for the subject. If they have somebody drop out, that's three grand they lose. If 10 people drop out, that's 30 grand. Now they are looking at needing to get rid of a staff member in the company, in the organization. They want you in the system. And, and, and that's not an attack on the system and saying that it's like only money hungry. It's a function. It's a function of the entity we've built. And I just think that if I'm going to fork out 250 grand for my kids' education, I would put give. I would do whatever it took to get them significant amount of time with people who are friggin' awesome at what they do. Like I think about someone like um, if my kid was into business, I'd just go hang out with Brad and Ryan, just hang out with them. In their, if they're into dance, I'll be like, all right, you just you know we're going to get you to hang out with the, these girl that was coaching the Australian ballet for a long time. We're going to get you there. And and I know the argument is, well, hang on, not everybody can hang out with that person. Not everybody knows those people. But if we build a system, and Ryan and I have actually mapped one out now that I think about it ages ago, where you go and get the knowledge from these experts and you and you and get, get, give it to the kids. Like I've actually sent you, um, Mick, a whole lot of videos of Brad talking about business. His understanding of business and money and and leadership and strategy is just remarkable. And if you listen to it, you can just duplicate it. You can go, oh, that's a good way to think. But we think that the kids are too dumb to pick up on this when they're not. They are really smart. And the other thing is that there's systems that are built now that companies are using, McDonald's and um, um, Hungry Jacks and not even those, just so many companies have got these in-house training pro- programs which are so sophisticated. They are basically, they. if you haven't seen one before, everyone, it's, you, you log in and you have all these training videos to watch. And at the end of it, there's a test. And these, this can go on indefinitely through someone's career. And there's a dashboard that the management has that says we can see how long, how, what videos they've watched, which ones they haven't done, which ones they failed, which ones they had to repeat. And they know exactly where the person is. Now, you can do a choose-your-own-adventure like this. If you build it, you can have... It's so that a child can look at five, six videos and go, geez, I really like these ones. And they can follow it, which is what they're doing on YouTube at the moment. But things like YouTube is designed to hold you in there with no educational agenda. It's an entertainment agenda and the entertainment is designed to create a profit. So the same with Facebook. You know, we are puppets on the end of a system that's designed to be profitable and may not have started like that, but mm-hmm. it's definitely moved to that. And so this is not a difficult model. Like you... In some ways, it's an interesting idea to have, like, uh, interest on the internet side or, like, a hmm, content, like, having something that actually tracks what somebody is organically wanting to do. If if all of the content is educational-based, it's not clickbait or it's not whatever, so it's not YouTube, but if you were to pick all of the YouTube stuff that's educational and you're, like... Looking at that over an extended amount of period, you could for sure have an audit of any report that says to a parent or a teacher, this kid is extremely passionate about birds and really interested in a specific element of birds. They have spent X amount of hours on this topic. You might not even know it. They might not even have known. They just thought that they were just, you know, so there's totally something quite interesting about that. Um, but one thing, I, one thing I was going to say though, because what you're talking about, 
I mean, I'm, I'm no educational expert by any means or, or whatever. I think that uh, one thing that's in terms of making a change that I was sort of considering was uh, if you trying to start somewhere there's got to be a lever that you can pull that has maximum output with minimum input that you're not fighting the system too hard and so so the thing that I was thinking about was like well it's got to be a lever that's outside of the system completely so in a way that you were talking about earlier, like that then has a trickle down effect. And so one thing I was thinking about actually was post high school, like, because the problem of like senior high school, whatever you want to call it, there's no space to figure out what you want. It's just a whole lot of pressure to get into college and actually no idea whether that's the course you want. You just sort of fall in love with ideas that you don't even know where they came from to begin with. And you've had no experience to explore them in the first place. You get, what, like five days of work experience or something like that to go figure out whether you really want to be a vet or not. And then four years later and $300,000 of debt in the U.S., you're like, you got your vet degree and you realize you weren't that excited. So what I was thinking about, I mean, you hear this more and more as like bridge years and stuff like that. But rather than being a bridge year, having, I guess, more of an academy or of a, a place where people that are just don't freaking know – can come where it's like it's not that you're saying I I don't want to go to university because the option to that is like well then you're just going to have to go get a job and be a mechanic and it's like well what's wrong with that you know I've got friends that were mechanic and electricians out of school and they got a tertiary degree to TAFE and they were making three times what I was making by the time I was in my second year out of college and if money is the measure, they were doing great and they seemed happy, but they were working with their hands and, you know, they were doing what they felt like they should be doing. But so, but to have something in the middle of that, that's a catchment for kids that could be starting businesses or growing ideas or just like, um, or you're all talking about interesting birds because mm-hmm. that's or just fostering an idea and going, this yeah. is a place that almost like, see, I've just. I think I mentioned I moved out of my office. And so I'm just in a co-working space right now. And I was like, because I've talked to you about this too, but I was like, wouldn't it be great if there was a co-working space that's specifically for kids that just finished year 12? Mm. And they just come and they don't even know what the hell they're going to work on yet. Or maybe they do and they're just starting on something and they're just part of a community. And that community is mixing with people there are other people that are like 20 years down the track of starting a business, but then there's people that can mentor and resource them and plug them in and help them figure out if you're trying to develop an educational platform for an app for this, then let's talk about that and, you know, help them with their finances and all of the other elements to help them figure out if that's really what they want to do or if Mm -hmm. birds are really their thing. But um, So this is, Mick, this is where... Um, I feel like I understand the system well enough to to explore an idea like that because what happens is people say, wouldn't that be great like you've done? And you and I have seen companies try to set programs like that up and they just bomb. Um, but the idea, but there's, there's a need, no question, right? There's a need. And then, 
So we hear that, we go, that would be great. We also, though, the same person objectively listening to it says, well, okay, say this kid's interested in birds. Their next instinct is to say, oh, well, how are they going to make, how is that going to be viable? Like, how are they going to earn money out of that? Right? So that's the, other, that's the other question or the classic argument or the rationale. And it's really just fear-driven. Oh, the other one is exactly what you're, sorry, what you're saying about the, the guy that's an electrician or the mechanic. They say, well, hang on. If money is the measure, then they're doing really well. But money's not the measure. Status is the measure. And that's dysfunctional So because there's some people that go, no, money is the measure. I'm going to get my kid to be a tradie. Other people go, status is the measure. I don't care that they're 300 grand in debt. I want them to be studying X or go to this particular university. So the issues are... The, the goal's unclear about how we're measuring it. We think that it happens after high school because we now need a transition year. And we don't think that if we do finance and, and resource people's passions that it can grow into anything. But a few things I've noticed. One is you can't do it after high school because parents stop paying for their kids mentally. They stop paying once they've left high school. So the model's not financially viable after 18 because even when I've tried to run programs at age bracket the kids have to pay for any education then themselves the parents don't finance it anymore so you get this cutoff point yeah fair so mm-hmm. so and not as a not as a you know Mick you didn't know but like this no, is no, what no, I'm saying I, like you know well let me ask you a thing in yeah. the opposite right because the, the reason I was thinking about something that was like post year 12 was because yeah. this is the first time that kids are like pretty much of age where they can begin to make their own decisions right well, it's actually no, but it's actually year nine that starts. Well, so, yeah, but to the me, cognitive capacity starts year nine. I agree, right? So let's yeah. go there, right? Because mm. in actual fact, to, it's probably from a younger to age. To pull but, off what but, you're but, talking yeah. about, though, to me, when I was in year nine or ten, it was like the rebellious kids or the kids that just were flunking out or just wouldn't listen. That were the ones that were forcing themselves out of the school to go to an alternative school or something, and. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it was a good fit for them, but they had to push themselves to the extreme to get there. Um, although they to were get where? to get where well, to, to to go to an alternative track and just get out uh-huh. of the school they were in to go to a, you know a, a school that just totally fostered mm. what they were more interested in. Um, and often feels like a rejection. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was like it, it wasn't, and and I get what you're saying. Is like you'd have to cultivate that to be an okay thing, but that seems like a battling of the system, right? Like, yeah, but that's why I'm to- like, Danny can't even touch the system. You have to do this completely parallel to it because the system's always going. That's so entrenched because the system's right. trying okay. to. So I keep get that. Alive. But so how do you get the kid at Brighton Grammar or mm. you know the good? Mm private yeah, school yeah. that really wants and needs the help, but they don't get that help because they're privileged. And I hate to say it this way, but they've got everything available to them and they're way too scared to come back to their parents and go, I don't want it. I want this over here that's cheap and accessible and makes me happy. Like, so like, and to get like, th- this is what I'm thinking, right? It's like that kid has to convince their parent to let them. Whereas when they're, and I'm not arguing my point, I'm just kind of like flipping the opposite side of it. But when they're out of year 12, if they don't genuinely know what they want to do yet, they just want time to let some basic ideas develop. 
and they're too scared to talk to their parents about what that might look like, but then they're given a structure to play that out and say, this is sort of a mixture between the two where we're going to help you get to that. That seems achievable. That seems arguable that you could convince, I don't want to sign up for Melbourne University for this degree because I don't generally know if that's what I want yet. I might want it. Over here's what I want because I want to see where this idea of this no, potential. See, that's, that idea doesn't, it, that's an incestuous solution. So what's it's happening? Incestuous, man, that's a really strong term. Yeah, well, it's like, because what's <laughs> happening is, it, it's a, it's a, it's a. That's stupendous, it, mate. <laughs> I know, wait till you hear my tremendous <laughs> angle on it. Um, the reason I say it's incestuous is because that is creating, is using the same method that created the problem in that if, if we go back to the little model I was explaining is that status is a driver. And if status is a driver, when someone says, I don't know what I want to do, I'd love to do this exploration. Then any kids that do that is often referred to as a gap year. Typically, if they've been pushed in this direction where they haven't worked out what they're going to do, it's because we've silenced passion. The whole follow the birds thing on passionate birds is not being an option. So now what happens is the kid is branded lost. And, and now they move into this, not with a sense of confidence and abundance of how awesome is this year going to be, but a sense of, I have to find an outcome. I have to, at the end of this, know. And further, that is going tacking on the end of a system, which says, look, this system doesn't work. So we'll just add another system on at the end to pick up any of the pieces that didn't work earlier. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. So, yeah. so what mm-hmm. I'm suggesting is to acknowledge that status is going to be an issue. When you talk about, you know, the kid has to say to mum and dad, I want to do this, that will be a problem for the early adopter. The early adopter is going to have to battle mum and dad and say, I want to do it. And they used to happen on the spire. Apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. The kid used oh, yeah, to drive totally. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I felt, yeah totally. Yeah. But so what I'm suggesting though is that we need to build the system in parallel so it runs, so it can be done outside of schooling. It almost doesn't have a structure. It doesn't even have a place. It's online. It's a network of knowledge that is organized in a way which can just the kids can just run with. When we build it in parallel, it starts to get to a point when all the status people, people want evidence, look across and go, shit, that kid's kicking it. They're killing it. And the parent goes, oh, yeah, we've got them on this, you know, we've you know used that program, we've used that model, they have done their whole life. And now the parent goes, shit, I want to be part of that. And, we, and so we have to build it so it's more successful, so it's a competitor to the school classic education system until eventually the education system fades or evolves. All right? And usually they'll just try to bring it in, but right now they're trying to bring in technology and there's iPads everywhere. Every kid's got an iPad. But that's not just because, you know, you've got a Lamborghini doesn't mean you're a racing car driver. And um, so the first thing I suggest is that we'd have to build it in parallel and you have to take on some early adopting parents, not early adopting kids. And you'd have to run it during high school years so that we're not in conflict. So by the end of it, we don't have a situation where we now have to search. In actual fact, we realize that life's just an ongoing search and they can just move into the next thing. It's not necessarily preparing them for university, it's preparing them for anything they want to move into. But the other issue is the argument about the birds, as we're calling it, is like, well, if I am, if, 
if the kid's passionate about birds, our instinct is, well, they can't make any money out of it. But a healthy education system would show them how to be commercially valuable or to how to understand money and, and dollars well enough so that they can learn their task in a way they're realizing how this can also be transferred in a community that needs it or how to find a community that's going to need their knowledge. Where we don't usually do that, we usually think of who's going to hire us, who's going to give us a job. But if the future is less about jobs and more about uh, an independent navigation of the, of the employment market, then, then they need to understand how, how money works and how debt works and how people buy uh, or pay for service they think they can, get, they can get a return on the knowledge or that they're absolutely passionate about and they can't find it anywhere else. And so I think usually people, when people hear... Oh, fine. So the kid's going to, you know, learn about, you know, follow his passions. But then how's he going to eat? How's he going to get a job? Well, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can teach a kid about their passion and teach them how to be financially viable with their passions at the same time. But people don't hear, people don't hear that. I think I know what you're saying. In some ways, it's almost like saying, well, continue the bird thing. Keep doing with that. And at some point, you're going to meet with this question of like, and maybe it's a lifelong question, as it is for many people. Is this my source of income or is this my hobby? And if it is just my hobby, then what is my source of income and how am I going to be happy with that? What is it? Am I going to invent stuff for the world of birds and ornithologists or am I going to just be, you know dealing with that passion on the side and then over here I'm I'm going to you know be a barista or I'm going to be yeah whatever other you know an accountant or um and it, more importantly as you're saying I get it is like having people be happy with that um yes I because that is an extension of the status issue because people think that fame means that you've you've made it it's an extension of status because if I do go in and become very specific in um, bird feathers or something and I'm studying them globally, then people say, oh, he's taken all these photos of birds. I don't know what he's going to do with them. Well, you know what? There's about 20 other people in the world that really care about these birds that are looking at these photos and people think, well, that's not a success, but you've built a community to hold you've built a community amongst people who otherwise feel isolated and don't have a shared passion and i've learned that fame is not the measure the fame the, the measure rather is are you, are you making a contribution to the people in your world so rather than in the whole world like that'll take care of itself if you're meant to be on the world stage that's sort of just it's a conversation for another day but that's not the measure of success so people think oh you know if i write a book and it's not a bestseller uh, because it's Mark Dobbs and he's written books before, that people forgive me. But if somebody new writes a book and only 10 copies get sold, people see it as a failing. I'm like, no, they didn't. They, they wrote a book. Most people don't even finish the damn thing. They just sit down and start and then they're done. Like, we've got these unhealthy measures. And I think that, you know, fame is is one of them. And so it comes in as a judgment model. If, if this person is following their passion about birds, we quickly measure that is not being valuable because you know only other 20 other people care about it but you know like einstein only a handful of people cared about his work too because nobody understood it Mm. you know but it's it's significant um so i saw an interesting 
one of those memes or whatever uh, from a guy named James Altucher. Altucher. I don't know if you've heard this name before. I don't even know where I've heard it. But I've stumbled on this guy a couple of times for whatever reason or another. He seems to have uncommon advice, I guess. Um, and anyway, it said uh, there are three major addictions. In, uh, the three most hurtful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. <laughs> oh, my God. So true. <laughs> Isn't that great? And I, that's so amazing. True. Um, and that's what the problem is. There's this sense of desire for security. And I said that, I think I've said on air before, like I told a sales team, it didn't go down great, but they said, well, you know, what are we going to do? Hit numbers. And I said, well, the problem is you're all on salary because if you don't hit numbers, you'll still get paid. And they did not think they go, oh, so we're all meant to quit our jobs. And they got really got their back up. So I just had to settle them down. But I also said, well, if you really want to hit your numbers, could you tell the boss, if I don't hit them, don't pay me. <laughs> I like that less, but that's the truth, right? Like, yeah, in some in some ways, and and you know, it's, it doesn't mean that people shouldn't have a job by any means. No, it's, no. Um, it's, but it's the addiction. It's the addiction that means that I don't feel free to just to get up and move. Yeah, totally. No, no I agree. Just because you run a business doesn't mean you're immune to a monthly salary. Like it's just like you you have to earn it. I've got to go out and earn that income, which is part of what we're talking about at the turn of the year. It's like exploring passive ways of doing that. Um, there's a couple of other things that relate. Um, I was just going to touch on real quick. Uh, I don't know if you listen much to Sam Harris. He wrote, He's a, a neuroscientist that's he's kind of pretty up there in levels of thinking, but he's got a podcast and he does a lot of different stuff from meditation discussions for, he's an atheist. So he's got stuff on meditations for people that are outside of religion. Um, he's been on Tim Ferriss' show before, but I'd heard him years ago because he'd written a book. He's written some pretty damning books about religion. Oh, you, yes. Now, I've listened to some of that. Yes, yes, pretty, yes, yes. Just a really good thinker to listen mm. to that helps you. He's one of those people that helps you f- brush up against the things that you really don't disagree with. So it helps you define what you think because you're hearing somebody say something both intelligently but so... Uh, not, well, not forcefully, but so, you know, potentially opposing to you in some ways that it causes you to walk through what you think, you know. Anyway, at some point, somebody was saying to him about socialism or whatever in a question because he does Q&A stuff. And I just thought his response was interesting because he was sort of saying, look, I'm not for socialism. I don't think it's a great model, blah, 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 blah. But at some point, we're going to need to deal with the fact that the way that society is progressing is that the need for human labor is being diminished at an alarming rate. And we don't have a capitalist-based economy that can support that. So eventually, when all of the jobs are weeded out over time and robots and cars are able to drive us where we need to do, we need to figure out what we're going to do with all of that spare time. And we've got both an education system that's not cultivating kids and people to know how to spend that time in any way. And on top of that, they don't know how they're not like we're going to have to figure out a society that's going to provide for each other because 
it's just not going to be self-sustainable. Like eventually there'll just be people that invented the Google car, whatever you want to call it. They're making absolute billions. And the people that are in the car getting driven around who don't need to do shit, don't know what to do with themselves and don't know how to put bread on the table anymore. And it's, you know, it is alarming. Um, it, it's, it, it, um, it's so it, scary. It's really alarming. It, it underscores, however, like, you know, you go back to the trades because everybody says this, oh, you know, the trades are so important, but man, they glance over that such a big way. But it is every bloody day that goes on, people that know how to do stuff with their hands and fix things become more and more valuable and their labor rates go up. And, and I think that's fantastic because we need that. And we're always going to need that. It doesn't matter what inventions are out there. Eventually, you need a constructive mind to get it working again. And so that's a huge opportunity for any kid coming through school that uh, I don't know how it is that we're in a society that just downplays that so significantly. Um, but anyway, I just thought his observations were really interesting on that point. But the other one was Seth Golden, who I've always paid attention to on education because he seems to be a forward thinker and has some really progressive ideas on what to do about education. Um, have you seen his TED Talk on education? I don't think so, no. You should watch it. It might be interesting for you to build on. He has got one called, I think, like Stop Killing Creativity. Mm-hmm. Um kind of borrows on a lot of the same stuff he generally tries to drill into people that school was built for the industrial revolution it was built for the industrial system to like what do you need to come out on the other end we need obedient people we need blah 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 blah. so he was sort of like introducing these what ifs you know what if we you know release the following ideas and pursued the, these others. Uh, I can't remember what those were. But one thing that I thought was interesting in his discussion recently with Tim Ferriss was he was talking about problem solving is like, if you can do anything outside of school to help your kids advance, he was like, just work on helping them figure out how to identify problems and solving problems. Just like teach them how to see problems that are around them and engage with those problems and get interested in what those problems are that's it. And it is pretty true that that's part of the major problem is that people don't see things that are going on around them that they could contribute to a solution on. Um, that's where yeah, they don't know. And they don't know how to contribute. Sometimes they don't even see the problem. Like that. Well, that's what I mean. It's not so much about how to solve the problem. It's actually learning how to see problems. Right. So true. If you can, if you can learn how to see them, it's see, because like we go back to the start of that conversation. When I saw the situation with those kids, and I see this, I've seen this a lot for a gazillion years. Like it's not just a one-off incident, <laughs> but the, the 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 adults there didn't see a problem with how that was happening. They didn't they didn't know that that was crushing a kid's instinct. You know the subtlety of it, and they'll go, "No, that kid's fine. Oh, they can. They're, all right. they're, you know." But I'm like, "Yeah, but that's oh, we want. We, I see the problem because I'm saying I think that kid really wants to get up and do something, and he should be allowed to. And he and she should be allowed to know that that raw instinct to move, to move on to the next thing, because your brain's done here. You need to give that permission, and or at least be able to recognize it and make a choice." 
but it, it needs to be discussed. And and I can I can hear the opposing argument. So, but I, so I'm not naive to to what I'm suggesting, but I all like to what we're discussing rather. But I, I love the simplicity of that. It's about recognizing the problem and solving a problem, and that plays out in a different way in the modern era. And we just don't need to know Pythagoras anymore. We we just don't need to. Even one of the kids said to me recently, a friend's kid, he said, um, I don't think we need to study. I don't think we should speak, you know, study English. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I said, I said, well, I think if anything, I'd only accept that if you said we will study communication because I knew what he meant where he didn't feel like he needed to learn the craft of writing for his area of passion, but I'm also sometimes we think, oh well, there's a few things worth learning, kid, because you'll use them later. But then we often can be wrong. Um, and so I said, you know, it's about communication, but I think really it's about self-navigated learning. Where this guy goes, I've learned about birds. I really want to write a letter to National Geographic about it. I now have an interest in knowing how to write well, um, and it, it unfolds. And there is a name for this kind of education they do at primary school. It's brilliant the way they have it unfold but it's just like I the thing is that when you said you know have I listened to um, his talk on education so many people send me links to talks about education on on YouTube and I never watch him because I'm so burnt out by thinking about it everyone's talking about it as we are here and I, I just as soon stop pissing into the wind and and the only reason I'm interested in this right now is because I've got friends with kids and if I have kids, then I'm going to build something for them um, because no parent should have faith that the education they're getting is going to set up their, their kids for the future. And I expect that if this was on, we've got a small podcast, a small community, if this went to some sort of significant educational community, Oh, I'm sure we hear so much shit, but I really think like this. <laughs> I just and I get concerned, you know. And that's it's it's a it's a uh, yeah it's a concern. And I don't think we'll get it right. So the model is definitely not um, what's a better system. The model is we really want to measure the kids on their capacity to to learn with momentum in the direction that they feel passionate. Hmm. And, I got yeah. an uncle that's a principal in Melbourne and he's one of, you know, done really well with building really great school systems and winning good wards and things like that as well regarding the educational system there. And he was visiting America and I was talking about, oh, have you heard about this like Danish, you know, the Danish educational system? Everyone's talking about that here in the US. And I just happened to have some friends talking about it. I'd seen some documentaries about it. It was rather interesting. And this guy that does tours from, from Denmark and uh, he, he was saying, yeah, I've seen him talk. I've met him, chatted with him, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> basically, this guy was kind of touring the US, sharing what the Danish school system had done. And all of the people in the US are like, oh, that's so brilliant. He was like, no, you don't get it. We just took all the research that you guys paid for and did <laughs> in all your university systems in the US. And then we just did it. We like carried it out. <laughs> you did all the work. <laughs> we just instituted it. And look what it did, you know, and it was Because that's what happened when we 
we were in New York and we were setting up Bard High School Early College. Mm-hmm. And the research was that m- most bullying happened by the lockers. So Bard, we just said, well, we're not having lockers then. And, you know, was it... It was an outcry because we were taking away this rite of passage by the kids. What's going to happen? Are we meant to carry all the books every day? And we're like, oh, seriously, kid. Like, you know, the amount of drama about things that didn't matter. And, you know, we got some grief. And over time, the corridors were twice as wide. It felt so spacious. And we just didn't have the bullying problems because the research was clear. But we were brave enough to act on it. And... And But we also actually consciously, and I would have said this on podcast before, we consciously got ready for the backlash. We, or, you know, we were, we knew it wasn't going to be received well. We discussed that as a team. We discussed what would happen, you know, when people first start to give us grief and then what if it's still going on six months later if we're still getting the grief and we just, you know, and it was helps to have the research, just to act on it. Like it's not really rocket science that... But we were lucky we were able to set up a new, you know, where it's a new system where you can change those things. And culture is important. Culture is really important in these environments. You know, that's, and the way I always say to parent, if you're concerned about, you know, if it's a good match for your kid, the school, you, you really just want them in an environment where they feel safe. And so I say, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure, let your kids walk down the corridor of the school on a day that school is active, not on the, not on the open day. Go to the school on a day when it's in full operation. Say, walk through the corridor and do you feel safe? And the kid will quickly be able to tell you whether or not they feel safe in that environment in a heartbeat. And if they feel safe, then they can flourish. If they don't feel safe, they're going to they're gonna cower. They're going to play small. They're going to adapt to be safe. And, um, yeah, it's, God, I've got so much, so much more to say on this. I've got so many ideas of what subjects we should be teaching and... But this is the start. This is the start. This is something to think about. This is, um, yeah, which is really big. I'd like to talk about this endlessly. But we, but what we might do is we might do education part two. Because I had something else I want to talk about today, but we're just not going to be able to because that I'm similarly passionate about. <laughs> you know what's interesting? This might be worth noting. I've been so busy for the last few weeks. I didn't even know how mentally fatigued I was. That uh, I apologise for the previous podcast, everyone. <laughs> I just didn't know that I didn't have any mental energy. Now I've found my brain switching on again because I've got a little bit of space in my life. Oh my god, is the best! I'm back. <laughs> Mick, how have you been? It's great to chat to you again. Ah, uh, stupendous, mate. <laughs> Tremendous, old chap. Rather, rah, rah, and all that. Oh, that's. Learned that at our private school education. Oh, that's indeed right. <laughs> oh, well, mate. Um, yeah, I've got to go talk at school now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. But, oh, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to see the kids when you just want them to grow and be happy like, and kick ass. And they Dovo. Dovo's calling us pictures. Is that that guy with Tourette's that just swears at everybody when he comes to the school? <laughs> I did swear to you. Like, oh, no, I get in so much trouble for that. And it's like, and sometimes I don't get in trouble. They just don't hire me again. But I just get so passionate. I get so passionate. I'm like, you know, I've got to wake the kids up because they just, they don't even know. They're just, they're just being, they've become submissive. They just sit in the chairs. And they know I've got to sit down and be quiet now. I just, I'm not allowed to put my hand up and ask questions. I'm not allowed to engage. I, 
I'm not allowed to think too much. I'm not allowed to have too much of an opinion. I'm not allowed to move at the wrong times. And so I've got to go, come on. Do you hear the people sing? Singing the songs of angry men. <laughs> I've got to get them going. And I'm like, come on, go, go. And the kids are, and they love it. And you can see their eyes lit up and then I can't get out of the building. And it's fun, you know, they're like, and then, and then the bell goes, they go, we got to go. <laughs> like, I know, man. I know, man. I, me too. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. Oh, I know. So, mate, it's always a pleasure. It is always a pleasure, my good friend. We'll talk again next time. And thanks for listening, everyone. That's a wrap, folks. We're out. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news, and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.